Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. What makes them industry giants? Get ready to take a peek inside and learn their secrets of success. This is Silicon Valley Insider, the show that demystifies the valley and helps to elevate your business to the next level. Now, your host for Silicon Valley Insider, Keith Koo. Welcome to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. My guest today is Kevin Coppin, CEO of Spirian. We'll be talking about the differences between data protection, data privacy, and data security, and whether or not free ice cream is worth your personal data. So if you're a business owner or you're an executive, we're also going to talk about the implications of regulations such as GDPR and California's Privacy Act. So don't go away. There's a lot going on in this week's tech news. First, I want to talk about Uber and Lyft. By now, you've heard that Uber and Lyft have threatened to stop all operations in California. This is a direct result of a judge upholding a ruling that they must convert all their drivers from independent contractors to employees. Uber and Lyft are making the statement that this doesn't fit their business model and the expenses associated with making them into employees. And they want to wait until the election in November where there's a possibility that a new bill passing will let them retain their independent contractor status. I am sure there'll be much more news, including the fact that Uber just announced that they're also looking at whether or not they might franchise their business in order to keep serving their customers in California on their own terms. Hats off to Apple, which is now the U.S.'s first trillion-dollar company in valuation. What's interesting is it took them 42 years until 2018 to get to the first trillion dollars, and then in the last two years, they've added another trillion dollars of valuation. I also want to take a moment because Cisco just announced that they're planning a significant restructuring. There could be layoffs involved. There could be early retirement involved. I want to remind specifically Cisco-affected employees out there that there is a Cisco Facebook alumni group. I just coincidentally happen to manage that. Come find us on Facebook. There's a lot of discussion going on in regards to options post-Cisco. And the last thing I want to mention is I'm going to be speaking at the cyber security convening for the state of California on September 2nd. If you want an invitation to this event, just email us at info at svin.biz and we'll be covering a lot on the cybersecurity industry. We'll talk about apprenticeships and alternative jobs. And so that's something you definitely don't want to miss. So once again, just email us at info at svin.biz and we'll make sure to get you an invite. And that's the Tech News of the Week. Welcome back to the show. Once again, my special guest today is Kevin Coppins, who's the CEO of Aspirian. Welcome, Kevin. Hey, Keith. Thanks. Good to be here. So, Kevin, our show today is all about the intersection of data privacy and what's going on with, in California, at least CCPA, GDPR in the EU, and how other states are contemplating data privacy, data protection for their citizens, as well as the federal government. But before we get into that, I wanted to talk about your background. How did you end up in this space? Well, let's see. When I was a young child, I dreamed of getting up and getting into the data privacy business, Keith. That was my, it was either that or being a, a wrestler, I think were the two I was going for. Um, <laughs> Mine too. It's, it's been a bit of a wandering road. First part of my career, I used to say the first half was, uh, was working on the ba- in the back end of the house. I worked in finance. I worked in procurement. I worked in supply chain. Um, it's no longer the first half of my career because I got old. It's now more like the first third. 
but I got to do that for uh, really big companies like uh, ExxonMobil, uh, Bausch & Lomb. Learned a ton, very, very cool time. Um, and then I got the opportunity to bridge over to the customer side. And that's really what started my tech career. Actually in Sacramento slash Mountain View, I commuted between the two back in the day. And that's when I started working for NEC. And uh, since then, I've been working for companies like Novell, uh, Maroon Networks. They're based in Sunnyvale. And then I spent some time working for some French tech companies until I came back here, back to uh, what I love the most. I spent 12 years in identity and access management working for Novell, and it's good to be back in security and software. Yeah, I really love your background, and we have a lot of parallels. It's surprising that we didn't cross um, paths sometime in the Valley. Having all those skill sets in supply chain, procurement, identity management, working with vendors, and now coming on the customer facing side, that actually gives you a unique perspective, which I think is powerful, especially in what we've talked about. When we think about Silicon Valley and the success of Silicon Valley, I delineated as a lot of people think about the dot-com era or before the dot-com era. And we joke about the secret to Silicon Valley success is Definitely smart people, great ideas, sharing that those ideas, and then also capital. But also what I felt like before, let's say, the 2008 financial crisis was the real lack of regulation in regards to other industries like banking or healthcare. And not that it was good or bad. We started seeing regulations with Sarbanes-Oxley with those financial crisis of the early 2000s. But now that a lot of these technology products are crossing paths into things that are highly regulated, like we should think about data privacy, that this is something that whether you're a large company or a startup, I find that unless you came out of a regulated industry, you really don't think about it. Yeah, it's a really good point. And I, and I, I somewhat shiver when you, when you brought up Sarbanes-Oxley, um, as I, re, I remember that all too well. But I also remember my CFO walking around saying, you can't do that because Sarbanes-Oxley says so. There was this giant, powerful person in the room that was never in the room. Sox says you can't do that. And you're exactly right, because now I'm hearing the same thing with GDPR. GDPR says we can't move our Salesforce data. G- CCPA says we can't do this. And, and it's, it's similar that when SOX came out, there was a lot of this is what it says. It wasn't really what it said. It was more what it meant. And the intention behind the regulation, I think, was very good, as the intention behind GDPR and CCPA and privacy is very good. We just have to make sure we interpret it in a way that enables the business versus stymies it. And that's where people are now struggling with that friction between the two. I want to address a little bit of the cynicism. So when we talked about going back to Y2K, Y2K became the Employee All IT Persons Act. And then the joke with Sarbanes-Oxley was the Employee All Accountants and Financial Consultants Act. And now we think about CCPA and GDPR and people are thinking, well, this is just another time and energy suck to pay more consultants. So before we feed into that, I do want to explain that when Sarbanes-Oxley came out, the interesting part about it, good intent, but that as people gained the system, they didn't realize that whatever you said as a publicly traded company that your Sarbanes-Oxley processes were, you have to adhere to them. And so I can tell you that the companies I came out of that we created a beast and then you have to manage that beast because I talk about it over and over again. If you come out of the regulatory side, they're measuring, not only are you adhering to the requirements, but that you actually are doing what you said you did. So if you actually overshot what was called for, and we joke about laws, regulations, and guidances with guidances being the worst because it's the most nebulous and you just start creating process. 
if an auditor or a regulator were to take a look at your process, if you overbuilt it, then you will have even more issues because you're not being held to the actual what's written in the law. You're being held to the standard you set. So it's kind of a, we, we, we use this analogy like in gymnastics or diving that out of a 5.0 scale, a 10.0 scale, you can only be decreasing. You can't actually increase. Yeah. And when you, uh, it made me think since I had to get my background a little bit, my first job was working for mobile oil. One of the first things I had to do is I had to write ISO specs. <laughs> and, and I used to laugh because I was actually, I was going to grad school at the time and I was studying total quality management and Deming and ISO. ISO, just, just write down what you're going to do and then prove that you did it. And I'm like, so if I say I'm going to drive a nail through my fingers every Tuesday at two o'clock, you're like, that's fine. You, just as long as you document it and you can prove that you did it. I'm like, this is the craziest thing I ever saw in my life. But you're right. If I, if I go ahead and overexpand that, it's just prove that you're doing what you said you were doing your controlled process. And, and that can get you in a lot of trouble. I want to I fast forward a little bit to what you mentioned with GDPR and CCPA. The spirit of the regulation, just like with Sarbanes-Oxley, was, is exactly right. Um, protecting our digital selves is going to be more and more and more important going forward. And I think even the regulators are trying to figure out a little bit. We're all trying to figure out a little bit. But if you start with the idea saying, as an organization, I don't care if I'm public sector or private sector, it is people are trusting me with their digital versions of themselves. And I got to treat that just as if the person was sitting in the room next to me and I start there. Then a lot of this stuff gets easier because it becomes part of the fabric and culture with what you are versus this side data project that IT and the data officer are going to run. And that's where I think this can be really different and really powerful, but it's got to be looked at with the right lens. Um, there was actually a good article today in, uh, on law.com that I read about how to use CCPA as a transformational uh, internal cultural initiative versus just this thing. I got to go hire a bunch of consultants to get me compliant to. Yeah. Well, so I'm going to pause you right there because we have a lot to talk about on the show. I know people are kind of scratching their heads. Like, why are these two guys talking about regulations? It doesn't really impact me. When we come back, we are going to talk about how GDPR, CCPA, how that does impact you, especially financially. So if you have any questions or comments about today's show, email us at info at svin.biz. And you can always find us on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. And we'll be right back with more with Kevin. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. My guest today is Kevin Coppin, CEO of Spirian, who we've been talking about his background and how his company is in the data protection business. Kevin, question for you. What is the difference between data privacy and data protection? That is a, is a question that trips people up all the time. I actually start a lot of times when I'm talking to clients or prospects, I'll ask that exact question to six, seven people in the room. I was in Texas a couple months ago, back when you used to be able to get on airplanes and stuff. So when I was doing that, I asked that question and everybody was afraid to answer. And then as they started answering, everybody had not just a slightly nuanced answer, in some cases, very different. Data security is, is protecting the data. Data privacy is specific data that I not just want to protect access to, I want to protect how it's used. So data privacy focuses on the usage of the data where security focuses on the protection of the data. Now you cannot have 
data privacy without data security, but you can absolutely have data security without data privacy. It is a, it's a relationship between the two, but the nuances are more than just nuances because the concept of usage is absolutely critical when you're thinking about privacy. Because just because Keith has access to the data doesn't make it a bad thing. But if Keith uses that data to go get a credit card, it makes it a very bad thing. So the idea of usage in the context of privacy is what makes it complementary to security, but definitely distinct practices and sciences within an organization. Well, thanks. Thank you very much. That's a great answer. So following up on that, I wanted to bring up, I don't know if you heard in the news, but SANS Institute had a breach. And SANS is considered the world's foremost educators, trainers on cybersecurity. And so it's really big embarrassment to have a company like SANS have a breach of about 28,000 records that included PII. Well, actually, not sure yet if it included PII, but what it was was a spear phishing attack. What do you think about that? Well, let's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about another recent breach, not trying to, to one-up you, but in that same wheelhouse. I loved what you just said there, Keith, too, because you said they got PII. Oops, we're not sure if they got PII. And that's the challenge with a breach. There was another one that's been fairly well published is BlackBot. Um, it's a South Carolina company, but they sell CRM solutions to higher education and not And nonprofits. Yep, no, really yep. well. And what, what the hackers got access to, and you can read all about how they got access, is they got access to their, um, it's a module called, it's what does, does their fundraising, Razor's Edge, that's what it's called. So if you have a fundraising app that pays anybody I would possibly want to give to my particular institution or my particular cause, just like you would have in a, in a, a Marketo database, same concept. But the type of information they gather about potential donors is how much money do they make? Where do they live? What's their family like? If you've ever filled out an alumni card where it's saying, update the yearbook, it's not. It's updating your fundraiser profile so they can get money out of you. That's what they're doing. But if you think of the fields on that card, well, that's what was impacted with these guys. So you've got an organization that serves other customers, but it's your data that's living in there. Now, they said everything was encrypted and they couldn't get on anything. Well, the fact that they know that I might donate to a particular cause could be a problem for me personally. But also another thing that is legendary for any software system is people put incredibly sensitive information in incredibly nonsensical fields. So there's a little open text field where you're supposed to put comments and that's where I put their password or that's where I put their credit card number because there's no other field for it on the screen. So we'll just conveniently shove all that stuff here. Those are the things that you got to go back and check if you were impacted by either one of these breaches to make sure, even though it might have all been encrypted, but what other sensitive data was living possibly in open text fields that wouldn't have been. So really understanding the impact versus just what's on the bumper sticker is important. And Blackbaud, um, Sands Institute, you look at some of the institutes that trusted their data to Blackbaud and you would go, your, your eyes would definitely open wide and curl back a little bit going, I can't believe they now have access to everybody that donated to that particular cause. I mean, you can think about it because when we think about PII, personally identifiable information, I'll even do a, a bigger comparison when uh, Google recently was being in the news, they have thousands of data points on a person beyond PII. And so when you think about having that much information on somebody, you can easily get a composite of who they are, even though it's not PII. And so you're getting all that information. Uh, one thing I wanted to really quickly bring up, because I know we have a lot to talk about today. Can you go over the financial repercussions of being involved in a GDPR violation or a CCPA, California's Privacy Act? 
Um, me in detail, no. Multifaceted, yes. So you've got your fine schedule. If you if you make over twenty five million dollars a year in revenue, you're then um, you're, you're then within scope of the CCPA mm-hmm. um, regulation. Then, in terms of exactly how much PII you release and what the fine schedule is, I'll be honest with you, Keith. I do not know off the top of my head, but Scott does, who works for me. Uh, the implications, though, in terms of the fine, to me, is only the tip of the iceberg. So I got fined, whatever. As a matter of fact, a lot of the GDPR fines that were the initial large ones that went out the gate that made, they haven't been collected yet. So the question is, are they really going to ever collect on it? And the answer is yes, but the litigation that you have to go ahead and put in place to go ahead and actually process the fine and fight the fine, as well as the brand impact, if it's somebody like the Sands Institute or somebody like Blackbaud, is a significant hit. So it's not just, it's like with any legal proceeding. It's not just the cost of, okay, you're suing me for $100,000 and that's what I had to pay, but it cost me $500,000 in discovery and legal fees to defend the $100,000 fine. The rest of the trickle-down effect even gets bigger than what the fine's going to be. Yeah, it's it's a great point. So what I want to say is that for GDPR, General Data Protection Regulation of the European Union, every company that does business with the EU, with an EU citizen, is subject to that. Now, whether they can actually reach you, like say you're doing a mortgage here in the United States to an EU citizen, but you're not a bank in the EU, it's probably irrelevant. But it's a minimum of 4% of your revenue or X number of millions of dollars, whatever is greater. (laughs) CCPA, as you said, is like a 25 million revenue threshold. And CCPA is the California version, California Consumer Privacy Act. The reason why it gets so much news, it was the first in the nation, the most stringent in the nation. And it's arguable whether GDPR or CCPA is the most stringent data protection regulation in the world. But there's a lot of chatter about whether the U.S. itself should be adopting some type of regulation. And if it did, it would probably look a lot like CCPA. It would. There's a couple of interesting stats that when I first saw them, um, made me sit up and go, hmm. So at the end of 2019, 10% of the world's population was covered by some sort of a privacy regulation. By the end of 2023, 65% will be covered by at least one. So you just think about world's population and those size numbers and you're going, I don't care if I'm in California or if I'm in New Jersey or where I'm going to be, this is going to impact my business. And they can say, I make less than 25 million. It's going to continue to trickle down because you're probably part of a supply chain that feeds into a larger organization. So third-party risk is a big part of every part of this. That's where the black blood risk comes in for a lot of the other organizations. So understanding that there's been more privacy regulations in the last 12 months than in the previous hundred years. And over the next three years, that's going to amplify not just in terms of what you have to be compliant with, but how the heck do I keep track of all this stuff? Which goes back to what we were talking about in the last section, which focus on privacy up here first and then work that down versus trying to manage what regulation here and what regulation here, because you're going to be playing regulation whack-a-mole. Whereas if you have good, strong privacy policy at a macro scale in your organization, same as security, you're probably going to be okay. Right. So when we get back, we're going to talk about your company, Spirian. How does it actually help customers and your ecosystem with data protection? So don't go away. You're listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Special guest is Kevin Coppin, CEO of Spirian. We're talking about data protection, data privacy, data security. Any questions or comments, email us at info at svn.biz. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn, and we'll come back with some practical suggestions for you. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. 
That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. My guest today is Kevin Coppin, CEO of Spirian, and we've been talking about data protection, data privacy, data security, and what are the differences, and why you as a business owner or a corporate citizen need to stay on top of this to keep your activities safe. So don't go away. On this week's Cyber Tip, I want to talk about vishing. Now, I've talked about phishing, which we all know is where you get sent an email. It says, hey, click here or download this. And once you do those actions, your computer gets a virus, gets taken over. You might get some ransomware. Well, vishing is a combination of phishing and a voice attack, which is more like social engineering. There's a huge rise with companies now that we're all locked down and sheltering in place where Many, many nefarious organizations are calling up representatives of your companies and trying to get certain key information that would then allow them to combine that with some information they found from somewhere else to get into your systems, to be able to do purchase orders, etc. So here's one real example. The Ritz-Carlton in the UK suspects that they were the victim of a vishing attack through their food and beverage delivery service. And in this case, the attackers basically pretended to be the caterer or the Ritz-Carlton calling up an individual, and that individual gave them some key information, a credit card number, uh, some type of personally identifiable information, something that associates either them personally or as a company representative in order for them to then execute on this attack and lose money or even worse, potentially getting control of their systems and locking them out, therefore then subjecting you to something like either deleting all your data or putting you under ransomware where they encrypt your data and they can't get out. So as a reminder, there are some common things you can do to keep yourself safe. One, I don't ever pick up the phone for a number I don't know. I just let it roll to voicemail, and then I can kind of decide whether or not that is a phone number I need to call back. Two, never, ever follow a prompt, no matter what, about push here, hit a button here. Even your own bank should never ask you for that. Your bank should always say, here's the number or find a number to call us directly and have them validate you. And then also always try to validate the caller's identification. If they give you a number to call back on, just Google it and see if that number exists somewhere in a known scammer website database. So these are the things I want you to do to stay safe. And that's the Cyber Tip of the Week. Welcome back to the show. Once again, my special guest today is Kevin Coppin, CEO of Spirian. We are talking all about data privacy, data protection, data security. Uh, Earlier in the show, Kevin actually gave the distinction between each of those. So be sure to download the podcast and listen to his definitions. Welcome back, Kevin. Hey, good to be back. So Kevin, early in the show, we covered a lot about data protection, data security, data privacy in general, why it's important. We talked about GDPR and CCPA, so the EU's data regulation, the California data privacy regulation, which is going to be, in my view, the model. These are the two most stringent laws anywhere in the world. 
I think that Californians will become the model for the U.S. Let's make that more practical. Why should people care, especially when we talked about California right now? The, the GDPR is for any company, but California kind of put a $25 million revenue as the minimum before they actually care. Now, I don't like the way that people think about that because I think it's actually far more encompassing. You think about 25 mil, but there's a lot of ways to get to that 25 mil. What do you think about that? Yeah, so let's, um, let's move regulation out for a second because I think regulation, it's good that we understand it. And I think you're exactly right. CCPA will become more the model. Every state's passing something or trying to get something passed while the federal government tries to figure it out. So I think you're exactly right. Now let's say I'm a, I'm a local ice cream franchisee in Austin and I've got 17 locations. I'm thinking that the last thing on earth I'm concerned about is this. Why do I have to worry about privacy security? I'm in the ice cream business. Now let's think about the ice cream business 10 years ago because Keith, Keith likes his ice cream and he's got his little punch loyalty card and he goes in and every time he gets his triple scoop of coffee ice cream, they put you a little, right? And then you get your free scoop when you get the 10 holes, correct? Yeah. yeah. What is that now? It's an app now, right? So now I go in and I show a little barcode maybe, or I go ahead with their little, um, they've got their, uh, their square card in there and they got their little app associated with it and they flip their iPad over and I say, do I want to do my loyalty statement? Now they know that you've got two scoops of ice cream at Tuesday at two o'clock. They know exactly which Tuesdays you come in. They know what flavors that you order and, and they know exactly who you are and any other information that you got when you signed up for your free ice cream. So I share that to say first, Keith, is, that, is the free scoop of ice cream worth trading all of that private information about yourself? So I want you to think about that. So you just stew on that for a minute. Now, as the ice cream shop owner, think how much sensitive data I now have. And if that sensitive data gets out to somebody that wants to do me harm, I'm out of business. So forget about fines from the government. I'm gone. Now, all my, everybody that ever shopped at my ice cream store, I've now published all that stuff on the dark web and people are out creating new applications to go ahead and forget about it. There's no way I can stay in business. I'm not going to have, probably don't even have cyber insurance to begin with. So it's, you got to take it past just what I have to do and say, what do I really need to do as somebody that's being entrusted with personal sensitive data? What's funny is when you mentioned that, two things come to mind. There was a data breach last year or maybe a year and a half ago a lab data aggregator, so Quest Diagnostics, yeah. uh, three of the other leading labs all use this 40-year-old company that took all the lab results and then synthesized them, aggregated them, and, and published them. Uh, and when I say published, I mean used it for their customers. That data got out, and that 40-year-old company was gone overnight because it wasn't about the breach in itself. The breach was a catalyst, but all four companies, the four major companies all pulled out, Quest being one of them. And so they went out of business. And so we talked about earlier how the Sands Institute, one of the foremost educators in cyber education had their own breach last week. It happened months ago, but they disclosed it last week. We say in banking, reputational risk becomes way more important. Sands actually has a number for how much breaches cost. That's the funny thing. They have a, they have a number for... A, a minor breach and a major breach and how much it costs a company to remediate. Well, that's just the incident management portion of it. It doesn't actually measure, because it can't, the fallout, how much it costs the company to totally remediate, do all the press releases. I was still at the Bank of Tokyo leading third-party risk when the Anthem breach occurred. And I'm on the phone with a number of the top customers with the CISO, Chief Information Security Officer of Anthem, and they're giving out an update every day of the breach status. And we have to disclose to our employees about this breach 
and other things that are within our ecosystem. So back to your comment earlier, third-party risk is considered by most government bank regulars. I talked about regulations, Kevin, only in that it's a good stick when people don't have a stick. No, no, it, it, it's fair. <laughs> yeah, so, so um, we had to go through all kinds of disclosures because we're a customer of Anthem, but we also have in our ecosystem, Anthem users. And so we have to actually follow our protocols and it creates a lot more expense for not just the company that had the breach, but their entire ecosystem. And that's why in this case, I was bringing it up with the, the lab diagnostics company. It was just saying, hey, it's going to be easier for us just to cut our contract with you than to try to figure it out with you. Yeah. And that's, I mean, back to the Blackboard one that we talked about earlier. So they've got Institution X and Institution X has 500,000 donors on their donor role. BlackBot's not taking responsibility for that notification. They're saying everything was encrypted. We're good. So now you've got to determine what's your notification and not just what your notification um, legally has to be done, but what's your, what is it ethically? You know, what, what do I need to be informing people that's been impacted by them, especially when there's as much noise around the BlackBot breach as there has been. So you're exactly right. Then at what cost? I got to email 500, I got to mail 500,000 people. I got to hire all this other stuff to do. And then what's the, it just, EBGBs. <laughs> so where does Spirian come into this? What, what are some of the recommendations either using your company as a solution or just in general? What are your thoughts? Yeah, the, the company was fine. We've been around for a while. So the guys that started the company was almost 20 years ago and, and they found it for one reason. And that was data privacy before data privacy was cool. Uh, they were, uh, their job in life was to ethically hack into organizations and once they got in, they just saw all this sensitive data lying around and data at rest. And they said, wait a minute, you guys got to, people are going to get in. Breaches are going to happen. Well, this is, you know, 2001, 2002. And they're going, no, they're not. We, can, we know how you got in. We'll stop it. Right. Well, now everybody just assumes that you're going to get breached. Then the question is, is, once you do get breached, what do you find once you're in? And Spirium was founded on the principle of data is sprawling everywhere. I mean, pick your data stat that you want to. It doubles every two years or whatever one you want to go to. Then you ask the question of any organization, how much data do you have? And they give you a blank stare and blink a bunch and say, okay, of that data, how much of it's sensitive? And they blink again and say, so what you should really do is figure out and define what sensitive data means to your organization. Then sort that out from the lunch menu, reduce it because right now in the day of clouds where everything's backing up to Dropbox, and then it's replicating over to OneDrive, and then it's going to Google Drive, and then it's coming back to your hard drive. The stuff is just instantly replicating as soon as it hits your machine. And that might be my passport, because maybe I just filled out an I-9 to join Keith Koo Inc. So now you've got my passport, but now it's replicated. Now it's over here. Now it's in my exchange outbox, and now it's saved. Reduce that sensitive footprint so I only have one copy of that, and then protect that appropriately. So our whole premise is you can focus on perimeter security all you want. You can focus on device security. All that's important. But until you really have a handle on the data, which is what people are after anyway, you're always going to be at risk. So if you can shrink your sensitive data footprint, you can shrink that risk and more properly manage what matters to you and me, which is making sure somebody doesn't get an ad hoc copy of my passport off somebody's laptop that they left in the airport because they didn't realize that it had replicated down there when they synced their Dropbox machine at work. Yeah, when I was acquired by HP, this was in 2007, I left Cisco, went to a software company that was acquired, and then uh, went back to Cisco. Uh, I got a breach notification about six months back at Cisco that HP, for my company that was acquired, so it was about 1,000 people, uh, the entire employee role was on an Excel spreadsheet and was lost by one of the HR executives. You know, and this is a year and a half later, (laughs) 
and so we all had to get Equifax for three years um, for free, but that's kind of the stuff you're talking about. Yeah. Let me give you a, a, a simple example. Um, a real example, we'll remove the names of the victims, but I'm in a boardroom with serious people having a conversation and they had emailed, they had this policy, they had remote workers all over the world and they emailed the, the payroll to individuals that are responsible for payroll for each region. Well, they accidentally included in that region's payroll file the tabs in the spreadsheet for every one of the traditional regions. So as soon as they sent that out, they went, <clears throat> you know, they sent the email saying, please redact. And this woman that was responsible for her region did. She instantly went ahead and deleted it and never emptied her trash. So her machine had been compromised through a spear phishing attack and somebody was slowly pilfering money through their, um, through their accounts because they'd managed to go ahead and get in. It was identified as a compromised machine then when they went and did the investigation on the compromised machine, they discovered sitting in her trash was the payroll information for all 10,000 people in the company, <laughs> but they couldn't tell whether or not that had been exposed. But since the machine had been breached, they now had to notify. And that's just somebody doing their job. I mean, there was no, everybody likes to talk about the people in the hoodies that are sitting back on the keyboards late at night. This is somebody just trying to do their job that screwed up by getting breached on the on the infiltration side and having the accounts done, but that was a very, very sophisticated hack. All that information sitting on our laptop could have very easily been solved with a tool like Spirion. So tell me, uh, what's the best way to try out Spirion? Is there a demo? Is it uh, getting to your website, S-P-I-R-I-O-N.com? Or is it emailing your team? How do they get a hold of you? Yeah, so definitely you can go to the website. We've got a, a try now version you can go. We'll actually spin up a server for you. You can kick it around. Um, there's a whole bunch of videos out there, you know, two minute, take a look at what it does. I'd recommend going to Gartner Peer Reviews. Uh, if for your audience isn't familiar with them, that's pretty much the Yelp of enterprise software where they actually have to do screenshots and verify they're actually a customer of a particular solution. They talk about what they use it for and how they leverage it. You'll get a good idea for uh, the types of clients and financial services and tech in uh, education and uh, we've got a bunch of retailers uh, we've got a bunch of uh, restaurants type folks. Anybody that's dealing with any kinds of sensitive data credit unions has been a recent one. But there, you'll see them listed the size of the company and how they're using the tool, what they've liked about it and what they haven't liked about it. So I think it's a good place to get an industry view. But if you really want to get your hands on, um, one of the things we actually did for uh, for COVID is we we have an agent-based technology that allows just for you, Keith, I can go ahead and you can download our client and you can go ahead and search your machine and find everything that's on it. And we offer that to everybody for free. Um, as part of this work for home and making sure that as people made the shift, that organizations could help their employees, especially those that they were putting on personal machines, make sure there was nothing on there that they would want exposed. So there's a variety of ways. All of it's available on Spirian.com. You can get live chat. You can find one of my uh, one of my SDRs on there. They'll chat with you and get you hooked up as well. Well, that's great. Well, Kevin, this ends the regular portion of our show. Uh, I really thank you for being on. I don't want anyone to go away because we'll be talking about your views on the future of data protection, data privacy. So thanks for being here. So if you have any questions or comments, you can email us at info svn.biz. We're on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Definitely check out Spirian. And we'll be right back with Kevin to close the show. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders, welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. My special guest today has been Kevin Coppins, who is the CEO of Spirion, who is in the data protection, data security, and data privacy business. Welcome back, Kevin. Hey, good to be back. 
So, Kevin, the show, uh, we kind of geeked out today, but it's something we're both really passionate about. I don't think we give enough focus and emphasis on data privacy, data security, data protection, and the differences between it. So people should download the podcast and listen to the earlier parts of the show because there is a difference. But now I also wanted to kind of shift gears and talk about what you think the future of data is. The future of data. So um, there's going to be a lot less data and we're going back to the abacus and whiteboards. That's right. No. Um, I think the, the let's talk about a couple different futures and, and then we'll, we'll go right back to the pandemic. Cause I think that's, there's some good illustrative things that are happening here with COVID. So data is going to continue to proliferate at goofy amounts. It's going to continue to sprawl instantaneously and people are going to continue to be hesitant to delete anything ever. So we can rest assured that data is going to continue to go in lots of spots and a certain percentage of that's going to be sensitive. The definition of sensitive data, I think, is going to be something that is going to continue to evolve. What was sensitive data five years ago is very different than what it is today. What is sensitive data in California is different than what it is in Mississippi, is different than what it is in China, is different than what it is in Italy. Because sensitive is defined culturally, it's also defined from a regulation standpoint. As CCPA was being ratified, they started adding things like biometrics. They started adding conversations around DNA. Um, Are those sensitive components that you have? Is your religious affiliation a sensitive component or not? Depends on where you happen to be. In some places, it could be absolutely fine. In other places, it could be life-threatening. So the conversations around privacy, privacy is fluid. And it's fluid because how we define it is a cultural norm that continues to evolve over time. Now, when you think about privacy 50 years ago, it's okay, I I got shades on my window and I got dark windows on my car, I'm good. Now that digital version of yourself is everywhere. You used a great word in the last segment, composite. To draw a composite image of somebody, I think you're like seven searches away and you can get pretty darn close. Now you look at what Google has and you look at what other folks have and then you look at what hackers can do to draw a digital picture of you and it can be somewhat terrifying. So understanding that the digital version of yourself is becoming a very close proximity to your actual self, hopefully will make people a lot more cognizant every time they want to get that ice cream scoop that maybe it's not worth giving that much information and realize every time they're given their personal information, they are making a trade. Maybe it's okay for American Express to have it because of the value they give me, but maybe it's not okay for Twisty Treat to go ahead and have it because the value is not the same level of equivalent. Let, let me give a gonna... real, yeah, I just want to go jump ahead. in and give you a real world example. Last year, uh, this is all before the stuff that's happening with George Floyd. Last year, it was outed that a particular big tech firm was going to Starbucks and facial recognition, artificial intelligence, we don't have in the sense of we, there aren't enough uh, types of certain ethnicities that have enough data training on data sets. And so they actually were giving people in the Starbucks line free Starbucks if they could take their photo and people were willingly saying, yeah, sure, for five bucks, I'll give my face. And this goes right back into, they don't realize yet what they've given away. Yeah. And I was listening to a, a local radio station out here and I heard one of the one of the morning news show and, and one of the younger DJs said, yeah, I just TikTok. I just give them all the information. I don't care. Why, why should that bother me? And it's, it's understanding the personal impact. And it's more than just, you know, somebody stole my credit and I got to go to LifeLock. It is a whole different thing to be completely per- impersonated um, and have that entire person be more relevant than you. If you've ever been on the other end of a phone call trying to explain to somebody that wasn't me, 
It really wasn't me. This is me. And they're telling you, no, 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 the digital you did that, even though it wasn't really you. You, you, you hang up the phone and you're like, I'm in crazy land. <laughs> How do I get this person? Because it's a very real pain that the digital you that somebody else can control has a lot more power in this world than the physical you does. And people got to wake up to that. So that, that I think will be an awakening that's already starting to happen, but it's going to continue even more so over time. And when you, I want to rewind back to COVID for a second, although I know it's not in the future. Let's pretend someday there's a pandemic, Keisha. Just imagine. Um, and let's imagine that we're taking your temperature all the time. Let's imagine that we're tracing everywhere you go all the time. And we're doing it in the name of public health. And every society has taken a different approach to this. So we continue to watch places around the world adapt to, we're just going to do the herd theory or we're going to track everybody and how it's all going to work out. What happens to all that data when this is over? They know every place I've went and they've taken my temperature, my biometrics. They know every single thing about me as they just going to go, okay, pandemic's over. (sighs) We're good. And even if they do, What's to prove that it's actually been deleted? And some of the impacts of that, I was, I had a, um, we have a, a podcast that a couple of guys here do at work called Privacy Please. And we had a woman by the name of Kay Royal on. She works for TrustArc. And she made the comment, she's got a unique, uh, unique background. She's a privacy attorney, but before that she was a registered nurse. So she brings this idea of healthcare. And I'm kind of like, help me understand this whole thing. And she goes, look, let's say that you have COVID. Or not, not even you don't. Let's say your neighbor does and you live in a townhouse. And your employer knows that your neighbor has COVID. So your employer says you can't come to work anymore because you've potentially been exposed. So now your employer is discriminating against your ability to work based on your proximity to somebody that they happen to know might have been diagnosed as a positive case with COVID. She goes, now just start playing that out over time. And I was like, oof. <laughs> but that's the, kind of, that's the kind of stuff this brings. And I think that when you fast forward to the future and you think all the data that we're going to have, is this is going to continue to be a conversation and even more in the forefront. And, and so with that's, that, that's what I see going on. So with that, Kevin, I know we're out of time, but we will have to bring you back because it is the future and we'd love to keep the conversation going. Keith, this was great. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. So you've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider. My special guest today has been Kevin Coppins, CEO Spirian, and really today is more of a public service to get people aware of data privacy, protection, and security. Any questions or comments and how to get a hold of Kevin's company, email us at info at svi.biz, and we will see you next week. You've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. For questions or comments on today's program or to schedule a complimentary consultation with Keith about your business, call 1-888-828-SVIN. That's 1-888-828-7846, 888-828-SVIN.